Good morning. I'm glad that you are with us, whether you're here in the sanctuary with me or over in East Hall. Welcome. My name is Zach. I'm on staff uh, here at CCC, and it's my privilege to spend the next little bit with you as we continue our summer sermon series we're calling The Dirty Dozen. We've been looking at 12 people in the Gospels who have an encounter with Jesus, 12 unlikely people, people you wouldn't think that God would meet, that God would use, maybe even that God would love. And while we've been looking at these 12 people throughout the summer, two major themes have emerged, and I hope you've been picking up on them. The first theme is that no matter who you are here today, no matter your story, no matter what you've done or haven't done, what you've said or what you haven't said, these stories that we're learning this summer are teaching us that no matter who you are, where you've been, God can use you. That God loves you. There's a place for you in what God is doing around the world. And every time you're tempted to think that might not be true of you, that perhaps maybe what you've done has eliminated you from consideration, we encounter another character who's made a mistake or who has something about them that others would say, because of that, God can't use you. Maybe even something about themselves that they would say about themselves, God can't use me. And we're finding that's simply not true. No matter who you are this summer, we're learning you can meet God. But we're also learning that we need to expand our imaginations, that our understanding of the people around us needs to change, that many of us are guilty of thinking of all the people we know and dividing them into two camps. These are the people I know that God loves, that God can use, who can know God and be known by God, and these are the people that for a variety of reasons cannot. But these stories are reminding us that we need to only have one group of people, those whom God loves, those who can meet God, those who could be used by God, because no matter who you are thinking of, as a friend or a family member, a colleague, that you would say, surely not this person. There are stories in the Gospels of people like them who have met Jesus, of people like us. I hope you've been picking up on that this summer. I hope that's been encouraging to you and challenging to you. And I hope this morning we'll continue in that trajectory as we turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 24 through 28, the Gospel of Mark chapter 7. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there uh, and read it with me. If you do not have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. We're going to pick up kind of mid uh, chapter here. So this story begins with Jesus and it focuses on his encounter with a particular woman. And here's what it says. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. 
And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. I want to give you three points just by way of an outline that I hope will help us make sense of what we've just read and what God wants us to wrestle with in this story. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. And if you're not, kind of just think about them as a mental map we'll use to make sense of it. And those three points are this. First, I want to talk about why this story offends us. Second, why it doesn't offend her. And third, why she's right. Okay, why this story offends us, why it doesn't offend her, and why she's right. Let's start with why this story offends us. This is an offensive story. Can we say that? It's okay to say that. It's okay to say that it's not, it seems not nice to call anyone a dog. No matter who you are, it's impolite. We would not expect this uh, from a polite person, let alone someone who goes around calling himself the Son of God. In fact, if you've read the Gospels, when you read this story with a woman who hears that Jesus has come to her part of the world where he's never been, and she is so desperate for his help that she rushes over to where he is. He's trying to get some rest. She won't let him have it. In fact, if you read Matthew's account of this story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, it says that she keeps pushing the disciples to let her meet Jesus. They, they keep refusing her until finally they bring her to Jesus and say, oh my goodness, Jesus, she's exhausting us. Please send her away. So this is a woman who's so desperate, she finds Jesus. She pushes through the disciples. She gets to Jesus. She throws herself at his feet. In Matthew's account, she says, oh Lord, son of David. She's praising him and she says, please help my daughter. If you've read the Gospels, you know what's coming, right? He, he's going to help her daughter. The only question is how he's going to do it. Sometimes he will say, sure, take me to your daughter. And sometimes he'll say, uh, I don't need to go to your daughter. She's already healed. We, we don't know the mechanism, but we know what he's going to do. Except for in this story, that's not what happens. Instead, he looks at her and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I came for the children. And you're not a child. You're a dog. And we think, that's pretty offensive. What's going on in this story? Well, I want you to see first that there is a way of offending, being offended by this story that you shouldn't be. And then I want to show you there's a way of being offended that you might not realize that you actually should be. So I, my goal in the first point here is really to offend you, which should be perfect because it's America in 2019 and we love nothing more than being offended. So I'm going to help you get there this morning. But let's start with what might offend you in this story and really shouldn't. It would be tempting to read this story and think that what Jesus is saying is that this woman is a dog because of her identity. In other words, because she is a woman, because she is a Gentile, not a Jew, because she's a Syrophoenician. Back in this time period, Gentile and Jew was a pretty hard distinction in this part of the world. Gentiles didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. And so calling each other names like dog would not have been out of the realm of possibility. Just as throughout history, uh, people have been divided across racial lines, ethnic lines, religious religious lines. That was true in this day. It would be tempting to read this and say, wow, Jesus is being an ethnocentrist. He's being a racist. He's, he's being a nationalist. And yet, here's the problem with that. That is completely and utterly incongruous with who Jesus is. 
Ethnocentrism, nationalism, uh, racism has nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, just a quick read of the Gospels would show us that this is true. Like, for example, last time I was up here talking to you, we were looking at John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. And she was a woman, and she was not Jewish, and yet Jesus not only sat and talked to her, he talked to her of how God wanted to include her in what he's doing around the world, and how God wanted her to know him and be known by him. That is not ethnocentrism, misogyny, racism, none of that. In fact, there's another story in the Gospels where a Roman centurion comes to Jesus, a Roman soldier, and he says to Jesus, would you heal my servant? And Jesus says, sure, where is he? Let's, let's go to him. And the centurion says, no, 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 you, you don't need to go to him. I know who you are. Just say he'll be better and he'll be better. I don't want to bother you. And Jesus actually says, wow, this guy has more faith than all of Israel. The point being that Jesus loves all people. In fact, his message is that he's come to seek and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he says things like that, he never qualifies it. He never says, I've come to seek and save the lost. But of course, I don't mean women or I don't mean Gentiles. He never qualifies it. And when he dies and when he raises from the dead, at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts, he gives his people a mission And that mission is to take the good news of what God has done in his life, death, and resurrection to every part of the world, to every people of the world, to cross racial lines, ethnic lines, geographic lines, all kinds of boundaries. Jesus is not an ethnocentrist. He's not a racist. He's not a nationalist. He's not misogynistic. And yet, he still calls this woman a dog. So, so what is he doing? If he's not doing those things, what is he doing? Well, that brings me to the part of the story that might not have offended you, but really should. And that is when this mother finally pushes her way to Jesus, that as Matthew says, she fights the disciples. You can just see Peter in the corner with a bloody nose. And when she gets to Jesus and she throws herself at his feet and she says, won't you help my daughter? Won't you do something? I've heard about you. I know you can help. Will you help me? That what Jesus is actually saying to her is this. Why would you think that God wants to help you? In other words, he's asking her, why in your seeking me, why in your pushing to get here in front of me, why even now as you throw yourself at my feet, why do you think, why would you think, why would you assume that God wants to help you? Have you ever thought about that? When you pray, why is it you assume God cares about what you're praying about? When you ask God for help, why is it you presume that he wants to help you? If someone were to say, you're religious, you go to church, you think that God loves you, why? In fact, if you were praying in your bedroom at night for a friend or a family member for yourself, asking God for help, if the ceiling were to open and God were to drop down and he were to say, why? Why? Why would I help you? Why would I bother Why would I care? What would your answer be? You see, that's the question Jesus is asking. He's asking not only this woman, but all of us as readers, on what basis do we believe that God will help us? On what basis do we believe we have access to God, that God 
cares about us. Jesus is challenging this woman because here's what he knows. If you don't have an answer to that question, you can never be sure you'll have a relationship with God. If when someone says to you, when you pray, why do you think God hears you? If you don't have an answer for that, then you can't be sure that he does. So when this woman finds herself at the feet of Jesus, Jesus isn't focused on her ethnicity. He isn't focused on her gender. He isn't focused on the part of the country she's from. He's asking her, why do you think that God wants to help you? Now that's offensive to us because we're Americans. And because we grew up in a culture that told us life is about us. And if there is a God, surely he loves us. Surely he wants to help us. Surely he wants to give us our best life to, to shower us with blessings. Surely that's what God's about. But Jesus is saying to her and to all of us, why? Why would you think that? Why would you presume that? Why would you assume that God wants to help you? Maybe he doesn't. Why? I want you to see my second point, that she does not take offense to this. Now, I want to look at her reaction in a minute, but before we do, I want you to ask what you think she might say had you not read the story before. When she comes to Jesus and Jesus says, why would you think God would help you? Why would you think that God would care about you? You can imagine what answers people would normally give. They would say things like, because, you know, I'm a good person. But you see, Jesus is inviting us into seeing that that is a really bad answer. Because if you say, well, God, you should help me because I'm a good person, what you're saying is that if I were not a good person, God, you shouldn't help me. But nobody's a good person all the time. And how do you know when your good person score is high enough? How do you know when your bad person score is low enough? How do you know when conditions are perfect to go to God and say, God, you need to help me. God, you have to help me. In fact, this is what most religion is aiming at, is it not? Most religion is trying to give us a resume upon which we can presume upon the goodness of God. So we go to God and say, help me. And God says, why? And we say, because I've upheld these five pillars of Islam. Be because I've walked this eightfold path. Be be because I've rubbed these beads. Because I've kept this sacrament. Because I went to church. Because I gave money. Because I served in the nursery. The nursery, God. And the idea is that if you can stack enough things up, that God will have to give you what you want. But Jesus is challenging this woman to see if that's where she's coming from. He knows that that will never work. Let me give you an example. I have five children. And sometimes when I'm eating something good, not when I say sometimes, always when I'm eating something good, a kid shows up. So I have a piece of pizza, I take a bite, pff, here's a kid. What is that, pizza? Can I have a bite? And like all fathers, I magnanimously say, sure, of course, you can have a bite. And so that kid takes a bite. But I don't have one kid, I have five kids. So here's kid number two, can I have a bite? Kid number three, can I have a bite? Kid number four, can I have a bite? My fifth child is eight months old. But I know when she looks at me, she's saying, few more months. And so what happens is by the time every one of my kids comes and gets a bite, I'm left with the crust, which nobody wants. And my, and, and my kids have started to 
lay, kind of figure this out and then play it against me to get things. Particularly my two oldest daughters, I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old daughter, and, and, and they will do this so that when my nine-year-old gets something good, she doesn't just want to enjoy it, she wants the seven-year-old to know that she enjoyed it. So the way it works, and not in a positive way, like quick, 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 come get pizza. No, 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 it'd be like she would eat the pizza, she'd wait for the pizza to be gone, then she'd go upstairs to the room they'd share, and she would say, oh, I'm full. And her sister would say, why? Why are you so full? And she'd say, oh, daddy had pizza. It's all gone now, but I ate some, and whoa, I'm full. Or the seven-year-old will wake up the next morning and look at her sister and go, oh, I'm so tired. And her sister will say, why are you tired? And she'll say, oh, daddy, let me stay up an extra hour. I mean, good for you. You got the sleep you needed, but I'm so tired. And then what happens is whichever daughter didn't get the thing, they will come to me and they'll say something like this. Daddy, since she got ice cream, can I have candy? Daddy, since she stayed up last night, can I stay up tonight? And, and they're not seeking a relational uh, uh, interaction. They are negotiating. They have leverage, right? They're saying to me, if you're a good daddy, you know, if you gave her ice cream, you have to give me candy. If you let her stay up, you have to stay up. And they're, they're trying to leverage that. And, and sometimes if they're right, you know, they've got me. But sometimes they have bad information, and they come to me and they say, Daddy, she got ice cream. Can I have candy? And I say, she didn't get ice cream. And you know, in that moment, they never say, oh, well, could I still get candy? They say, oh, never mind. And they walk away. Because here's what they're saying. I came to you on the basis of leverage. I came to negotiate and now I realize I don't have any leverage, and so I can't expect anything from you. Friends, do you see that's what it is to relate to God on the basis of being a good person or religion? It is to come to God and say, God, you have to give me this good thing. I've done my part. God, you owe it to me. But what happens when you realize he doesn't? What happens when you realize you're not as good as you thought or you weren't as religious as you thought? You didn't stack enough good things up. What happens when you realize your scoreboard isn't good? You know what happens. You walk away empty-handed. So when Jesus says to this woman, why would you think you get anything from God? She gives an answer you wouldn't expect. In fact, I want to show you two things that she notices. The first thing you'll find in verse 28 is she says, I did not come to you because of who I am. Look at what she says. Jesus says, you're not a child, you're a dog. And she says in verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord. Do you see that? She doesn't say, what do you mean a dog? I'm, I'm not a dog. She doesn't say, don't you know I'm a good person? In, in Matthew, when she gets there, she says to Jesus, oh, son of David, which means on the Uber on the way over, she had read the Old Testament. And she doesn't even say, don't you know I've studied? Don't you know I'm a good person? Don't you know I'm religious? She doesn't say, who are you calling a dog? She just says, okay, I'm a dog. Yes, Lord, I'm a dog. She's probably thinking, I don't really know where you're going with this whole kids and dogs thing, but sure, okay, yeah, I'm a dog. And here's what she's really saying. She's saying, Jesus, I didn't come to you because of who I am. 
I, I didn't come to you on the basis of believing I'm a child. Your story doesn't faze me, Jesus, because I didn't come here because you owe me. I didn't come here with expectation that because I'm good, because I'm religious, I didn't come here with a box of accomplishments that I was going to show you so that you would have to give me. You say I'm a dog, fine. I'm a dog, that's fine. Because here's the second thing she says. I didn't come here because of who I am. I came here because of who you are. Look at what she says, verse 28. But she answered him and said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Do you see what she's saying? She's saying, she's, I'll roll with this analogy. Okay, fine, I'm a dog. But good fathers have so much food on the table and good fathers don't want anyone to go hungry. So good fathers will take a little food from the table and they'll hold it underneath for the dog to get it. She says, I didn't come here because I'm a child. I'm, that's fine. You say I'm a dog, I must be a dog. I'm not here because I'm a child. I'm here because I've heard what kind of father you are. I'm not here because I deserve. I'm here because I've heard that you don't deal with people on the basis of deserve. I'm here because you are merciful. I'm here because you're kind. I'm here because you're generous. In other words, She's saying, Jesus, my, the basis, the foundation of my presumption that you will help me is not me, it's you. This is like when my children come to me and say, Daddy, I love you, and I know you love me, and we both love ice cream. <laughs> and so, Daddy, I'm going to let you and in your infinite wisdom figure out how we should celebrate our mutual affection for each other and ice cream. This is when my kids come to me on the basis of knowing I love them. That's what she's doing. She's coming to Jesus and saying, please help my daughter. And Jesus is saying, why? And she's saying, because it's who you are. I've heard about you. I know who you are. I know what you've done. You see, this whole story is Jesus inviting us into this realization. If you and I relate to God on the basis of our own accomplishments, we will rise and we will fall. We will have good weeks and we'll have bad weeks. We'll have good weeks where we go to God and bad weeks where we stay away. But even on the good weeks, if he gives us good things, we'll never really know if he loves us. Because we'll walk away saying, wait a minute, did he give me that because he wanted to or did he give me that because I earned it? But Jesus says, what if the way you really relate to God, what if the only way you could ever really have relationship with God is if you took all of your moral things and all of your religious things and all the things about you that you think are impressive and you put them in a box and you threw the box away and then you looked at God and said, I want to get to know you just because you love me. I want to relate to you just on the basis of who you are. There's nothing about me. I'm a dog. There's nothing about me that would impress you, God. There's nothing in my hands that I can show you and say, you have to love me. You have to help me. I'm just here because I believe in you want to. I'm here not because of who I am, God, but because of who you are. Are you willing to do that? You're willing to have a relationship with God that's based not at all on you or what you've accomplished or what you've done. Are you willing to say that you're just a dog, but God loves you anyways? That's what this woman says. He says, you're a dog. She says, you're probably right, I am, but you will help me anyway. That leads me to the third point, which is to say, is she right? What would it take to believe that 
you could go to God empty-handed? What would it take to believe that you could take all your religious accomplishments, all your moral accomplishments, put them in a box, throw the box away, and still go to God? What would it take to believe that God wants relationship, not negotiation? What would it take to believe that God loves you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is? Well, what did it take for her? And you say, well, God healed her daughter. Well, yeah, yeah, but hold on a second. She already believed before God heals her daughter. In fact, Jesus says, you're not a child, you're a dog. And she says, well, that may be, but good fathers still find a way of getting the food to the dogs. In, in this story, Jesus says, that's a good statement. You get it, right? But in Matthew, he says, your faith is great. He's saying to her, you get it. You're right. That is the right answer. You come to me empty-handed, but know that I love you, and I do. Your faith is great. Your daughter is healed. So how did she know she could go to Jesus with nothing? Well, the answer is in Matthew when she calls him the son of David. This is she had been reading her Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God makes clear that a relationship with God cannot be based on performance. Israel tries that. They try to have a relationship with God based on keeping the rules and, and, and fulfilling their end of the deal. But every time it fails, they cannot do it. And in the prophets in the Old Testament, God makes a promise that one day he's going to send a Messiah, a, a rescuer, a son of David, and that that rescuer will come not to gather up all the worthy people, but to make the unworthy people into worthy people. Not on the basis of what they do, but on the basis of who he is and what he does. When she goes to Jesus, she says, I know who you are. I know why you're here. You didn't come to separate children and dogs. You came to gather the dogs, to bless the dogs, to help the dogs. I know who you are. I know how you work. I know my hope is in you being good and not in me being good. What she doesn't know, but what we know, because we know the rest of the story, is how Jesus will prove that. Friends, do you know if God has a table at which he is going to sit and feast with someone, do you know how many chairs are at that table? Only one. And that chair belongs to Jesus Christ. You see, it is only Jesus who can say to God, I have earned this. It's only Jesus who can say, I deserve this. It's only Jesus who can say to God, you, you are obligated to bless me because it's only Jesus who has been obedient. It's only Jesus who has only a good score. It's only Jesus who has nothing but good things to commend him. If God has a table, only Jesus can sit at it. Only Jesus is his child. And yet when Jesus came, he didn't come to sit at the table and look down at us dogs. He came to become a dog. It's Jesus, the only Son of God, the only one who can sit at the table, who will go to the cross. It's Jesus who will be forgotten. It's Jesus who will be ridiculed. It's Jesus who will be kicked, if you will. It's Jesus who, about whom they will say, this guy's a nothing, and this guy's nobody, and this guy doesn't know God, because if you knew God, this wouldn't happen to you. It's that Jesus who will die, but it's that Jesus who will raise from the dead and say, I, the only Son, came to be a dog in order that through me the dogs might become children. You see, when Jesus was on earth, there was only one chair at the table of God, but when he died and he rose from the dead, there were limitless chairs at the table of God. 
Jesus came in order to prove to you that God loves you not because you're lovable, but because he is loving. It's Jesus who came to live in your place and die in your place and raise from the dead in order that you might say when someone asks you, why would you think God cares about you? Why would you think God would listen to you? Why would you think God would answer your prayers? That you would say, not because there's anything impressive about me, but because Jesus came and lived and died for me and rose from the dead. He belongs at the table of God, and I'm with him, so therefore I belong. When I pray, God hears me because of Jesus. When God thinks of me, he loves me because of Jesus. I have nothing. I'm a dog, but Jesus has made me a child. And this means whether it's a good week or a bad week, you can go to God because it's never been about getting access based on performance. It's always been about what Christ has done for us. You say, well, how is it that Jesus takes us from dogs to children? Well, do you remember when Jesus instituted communion, the Lord's Supper with his disciples? He talked about a table, and he talked about a meal, and he talked about a meal we would share with God. But what was the food being served? His body broken. His blood shed. See, Jesus gives us his life, his credit, his performance. The reason we can sit at the table of God is that it's the body and blood of the Son of God on the table. We are accepted by God and loved by God simply because God is merciful and gracious and kind and he's proven it in Jesus. You will not impress God. You cannot presume upon God's kindness because of your religious performance or your moral performance, but you absolutely can have unlimited access to God by simply saying, I have nothing except for a belief in who you are because of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, there are probably two responses to this that I'm asking you to help us avoid. The first would be the response of pride, which is to say, no, 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 no. My moral uh, achievements, my religious accomplishments, these make me lovable. Would you humble us at the cross? Because after all, if those things were all we needed, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But there are others who will say, no, 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 I I can't be lovable. I'm so without moral accomplishments. I'm so without religious achievements. Would you humble us at the cross? See, if your sin was so bad, he wouldn't have gotten back up. God, that at the cross of Jesus, there would be a level playing field where all of us say, no matter what culture would say about us, no matter what others would say about us, no matter what we would say about ourselves, that all of us would say, I am a child of God, not because I deserve to be, but because deserve is not the basis on which he loves me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.